0: Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom, here once again this week with Philip. And it's time for a fatherhood episode. We've got three topics that I think uh, kind of align very well with each other and align very well with the overall goal of this podcast. Uh, This week we are discussing the manosphere and uh, a number of uh, things we debunked from the incel man escape and then uh dating and gender in labor um so yeah uh, anything you want to where where do you think we ought to start off philip well there's certainly a, a
1: degree of overlap between uh the incels and the dating segments you know with this when it comes to fatherhood and mentorship i think like a lot of at least fatherhood specifically, a lot of my thoughts here are going to be in theory um, as my kids are not old enough to participate in sex or dating or labor for that matter. So we, you know, we'll be kind of talking about like my initial approach. So it might be interesting to come back and talk about it in many years (laughs) Uh, when they are old enough and, see how that works how how that's worked for me but uh <laughs> i i guess like there'll probably be a lot of overlap between incels and dating so maybe we'll start there and might may end up free-flowing between the two
0: yeah i agree i think that and that was kind of why we did the, the dating episode it was kind of as a, a, a takeaway and a continuation of that incel episode and i think yeah both of those two uh, topics have a lot of overlap and a lot of overlap And as I said, kind of the whole theme of the show, what were our whole purpose in this show, um, which is this idea of reversing the catastrophization and the, the pathway that men gen men end up taking into this manosphere. And the kind of a a vacuum of discussion of positive, like there's a vacuum of positive masculinity uh, and of spaces where men can learn or hear from other masculine presenting folks. I don't know, I don't want to say better ways of doing things, but I mean, like, you know, less toxic stuff than what like as we discussed on the uh incel episode and i i think the basics of parenthood with the incel episode is teach your kids the things that aren't those things otherwise they're going to go out there and end up learning those things uh understand the toxicities uh understand the toxic ideas that kind of exist in our society uh Because that's just a nature of society, especially of of information-linked society like what we have today. It's just a nature of how it is. If you go out there, you can find pretty much any piece of information you want to find. It can be both great and enlightening and wonderful and a learning experience, and it can be an absolute maelstrom, soul-sucking pitfall into q anon and terrible ideas that is the nature of the internet and you've got to actively teach the ability to process that information as it comes in i mean like we've we got to teach like that these things exist out there. And so in order to be able to teach that these things exist out there, you kind of need to understand the basis of what exists out there and to be able to teach like how to look out for it, how to critically analyze the information that you're bringing in. Because as a adolescent uh, teen entering your, you know, as you become interested in romantic relationships with other people, as you become interested in dating, as you become interested in just, even the platonic relationships you have with other people, you're going to go out and seek information. Knowing how to process that information is absolutely critical to not falling down the wrong wells into bad information.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, navigating the internet uh, in relationship to truth and, and whatnot is certainly something that, can start pretty early you know um uh I make a habit of you know my kids will come up to me and say something that they learned from a video and even if I already know it's true you know, say so like oh where'd you learn that you know oh I saw a YouTube video it's like oh interesting like how do you know that that's how do you know that that's true you know um and you know we can go and like we learn to go and like look up some other things like oh here's some things and it's this comes from you know this is on wikipedia wikipedia and you can see here that it's cited into a journal in the science like that's you know legitimate you know and sometimes they'll come up to me with stuff that is um obviously or it, even if not obviously um at least seemingly uh fake uh for example, uh, my oldest came up to me once and told me that he had just learned that there's a fruit that grows in India that looks exactly like a naked lady. Of course, this is enough of red flags for me to just go look this up. Eventually found this thing that's like a hoax that like, uh, you know, about some, you know, naked fruit lady thing, like fruit that grows that way. And it's like, it, it just wasn't. And I was like, hey, you know, look, look what, you know, I kind of showed him like, look what I did. You know, I googled this. Uh, I didn't, want to do it with him in that particular moment because of the particular message like just googling like naked lady fruit on the internet is uh probably not a safe search to do in front of your seven-year-old child (laughs) uh so (laughs) i didn't i did it on my own but then later like knowing it was safe i showed him i googled this and like looked through and like okay here's the thing like this is a more reputable sort of thing and try to get him, you know, sort of a sense of like what is and isn't uh, like reliable information, or at least like give him the sense that like, um, you know, you can't just accept the things that you are presented as your first thing as true Sort of teaching like principles of like skepticism, and I'm and I mean skepticism in the more like philosophical epistemological sense. I think a lot of people um, we see this in like like anti-vax type stuff where it's like, uh, oh, I'm skeptical because I don't just believe whatever people tell me. It's like, well, okay, there like skepticism isn't just about rejecting things that you hear. It's about forming a the ability to figure out how to critically examine what you believe and what others believe and work at, work out a process for determining what is and isn't true that reliably produces correct answers not 100% of the time because that's impossible but you know at least better than better than coin flip and a lot of people, like, just say, like, oh, I reject anything that most people believe because I'm a skeptic. It's like, that's not what skepticism is. Um, that's just being contrarian. But anyway, yeah, I think, like, definitely um, filtering and figuring out how to filter information is part of it. I think another part of it is um, when it comes to approaching dating, approaching um, sexual stuff and just all kinds of uh stuff in that in that approximate area i think a lot of issues with that start way before any of that stuff is relevant i think like we kind of imagine it as its own category but in reality dating and sex and all of that stuff is an extension of how you have relationships with people in general there's a lot of principles that go into romantic relationships that are really just like, how do you maintain and develop a healthy relationship with another human being? Um, we kind of talked about that a little bit in our polyamory monogamy episode of, you know, it's the same thing's true there. Like a lot of those things that are just like generally good relationship advice for any kind of relationship apply to polyamorous ones and apply to monogamous ones. Like, and I've been listening to a lot of interviews by, um, uh, Dr. K, who goes by the moniker "Healthy Gamer" uh, on YouTube, that are really, really fascinating. that He did actually an interview with with several people that like self-identified as incels, and you know, like we tend to a lot of times on from a from the left, like analyze stuff in a systemic way, and that's completely legitimate and a very important way lens to put on it. But I think sometimes we get a little bit too. Um, attached to um because our culture is so individualistic we get really attached to this sort of like pivot of like let's look at this from a systemic angle and like we sometimes like fail to recognize the individualist angles that it does take and listening to those interviews really got me to realize that a, a huge amount of like the inceldom has uh that we see on the internet um there's a lot of stories there people who just get like bullied and ostracized for all kinds of reasons sometimes it's there they have like a mental health issue of like you know uh developmental issue of some kind right sometimes it's just because of like circumstance or uh you know random chance in some cases like but you get these people who are like bullied and repeatedly like beaten down by their life circumstances who then like learn toxic things from that that leads them lends them to believe toxic stuff that they read on the internet later and all because like that toxicity early on as a child wasn't addressed and so like a lot of times like you answer the question like why do these people hate women and it's like well they hate women because they've been convinced that that at of that at the end of a chain of believing toxic things from a chain of abuse that's been going on their whole life um and yeah people see that <laughs> and they go like "Ah, oh, gross and they walk away and so which compounds the problem which you can't fault them for because of course you shouldn't be forced to be in a toxic relationship with someone because of all that but like you know there is a, a reality in which like i think it's important to recognize that like bullying in childhood and um you know failure to address like uh certain like mental issues early on can like are, are the things that cascade into these more developed problems later on down the line and so I think like probably like the best advice for parents at least parents of young children that I can think of is like make sure you're keyed in with what's happening to your kids don't let your kid you know like ask the teachers to make sure you know ask like and not not to be paranoid about it like don't be like Weird, you know, <laughs> you gotta, you also have to respect your kid's privacy uh, at some level. But like, you know, be keyed in, have a good relationship with your kid, try to make sure that they're able to tell you when they're experiencing some bullying. I've got that relationship with my oldest son. He's told me a couple times when he thought that there was some behavior that was bullying. Sometimes I go, well, but that's a kid being mean, but it's not really like bullying. um And other times it's been like, mm, yeah, that's actually kind of a problem. We should you know have a discussion about it especially let me know if it keeps happening and you know we've had the conversations to sort of like adjust things to make sure that that doesn't happen and those are all things that i think help and contribute in and putting him in a situation where he's not going to go down that road because he has healthy a a healthy buildup of how to have a relationship with with people in general that can then be taken and translated into the areas of like romance and sex later on um so that was a big long diatribe but like fundamentally it was just a thing that i wanted to get out there of like i think a lot of times you know when it comes to like parenting stuff um a lot of this has to do with like how what happens in childhood And, you know, if, if you're a parent of an older kid, I mean, I don't have experience with that, but a lot of times like really like therapy is deeply needed because like probably what's going on is deeper seated and, and stems sooner than, uh, the apparent surface level stuff. Like people just don't get to the point, like people don't naturally hate women or like become convinced that like life is entirely about video games or sex or whatever like people get to that at the end of a chain of events Uh,
0: yeah I agree and and I think it's important to point out too when we're talking about uh, adolescence and therapy I think a lot of parents get really defensive when the idea of therapy for adolescence comes up because it's immediately like a an admission that you've done something wrong, right? If your adolescent child has to go into therapy for, you know, potentially it's because of some abuse that they've faced, well, then you must have been the one that caused that. And that is not the case. It, uh, it you know, the the it takes a village to raise a child thing is a much, uh that's the tip of an iceberg that exists of reality, right? We are, our kids aren't isolated just to ourselves as parents. They have interactions with other adults and other kids who are raised by other adults um all the time that we don't even think about. And they are things happen to them also you know, things happen to them for one thing. And also ideas are introduced to them for another thing. And just yeah, like it it is not like As an adolescent, and also there are things that even go beyond all of that. Uh, There are a number of reasons that a person can need therapy to unlearn uh, toxic traits and also to process previous trauma that may have nothing to do with the parent. It may also have something to do with the parent. And maybe you need to go to therapy as well. But. I, I just I'd like to I, I think it's important to caution that like yeah, folks get really defensive about that. And for a lot of kids, uh it and and even for grown adults later on when we're adults talking about these things, it becomes something where it's hard for us to talk to our parents about. Because if we mention like we were having some kind of trouble when we were adolescents with mental health or with processing trauma or anything of that nature our parents immediately want like we we we're afraid that our parents are going to get defensive about that that we're going to make them feel bad that we're making them feel like they traumatized us or or maybe that they didn't protect us well enough and that that defense that defensiveness creates a barrier and doesn't help the problem
1: yeah and i think this this has to do with a thing that that i've always Felt like a need to push back on, which is like, I I actually think like we we have this word mental that we put juxtaposed with the word physical, that actually I don't think is entirely warranted. Like I understand that like they are that, that that conceptually there are there is a distinction in the mental and the physical, and like I don't think like it's a meaningless distinction or anything like that but I certainly think that like people often treat them as like wholly separate. Absolutely not. Like your mental state is a physical process as far as like, like without getting into the the sort of metaphysical debates of different religions and stuff like that. um, Like setting that aside, like as far as we can tell from a secular point of view, your mental state is a physical process. So like um, the, the idea that like, your physicality is somehow separate from your mental is to me flawed and its conception because not only do we know that physical physical processes um have mental effects like there are well-known psychological effects just from having like diabetes for example so like there there is not they're not separate and and i think people treat them as separate sometimes to their detriment and their ability to understand and react correctly for example like you say people get really defensive but it's interesting that no one really gets super defensive if their kid breaks the leg it's like oh sometimes you know you break a leg as a kid you know it happens or even as a grown-up you know like accidents happen and it's like you know you can't be there 24 7 you hit to break the leg you take them to the doctor you get it set you get it fixed that's how it goes Like, that's kind of people's attitude about like physical injuries. Well, mental energies, mental injuries are not different. You could do everything perfectly to the degree that perfection and something as complicated as parenting even exists. But like, you could do stuff just with perfect optimization on on, uh, the well being of your child. Right. And circumstances may just be such that. A mental harm happens to them and like the solution to that is therapy (laughs) and it's not it's not a slight on you in the same just in the same way that like a skinned knee or a broken leg is not a slight on the parent and I think like people need to like really step back and say like I think a lot of people sometimes uh I think a lot of times the reason that people get upset about mental stuff over physical stuff isn't really because they're afraid of looking bad entirely. I think there that there's an element of there, but I think like some of it is like people have this sense if there's something mentally wrong with my child, that might mean there's something mentally wrong with me and that's something I haven't addressed yet and haven't dealt with or haven't thought about and like being forced to in the moment uh, approach that as uh, concept, like when also, you know, dealing with, uh, the parenting stress of like, oh, my child's hurting is often not handled very well or very clear thinking.
0: Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, like I, yeah, like, uh, a lot of folks face this also as adults, when as an, as an adult, when you, uh, for a lot of folks, when we're kind of first starting to seek mental health for, Whatever reasons we may have for doing it, we often feel like, man, if my parents know, they're gonna. Exactly that dynamic begins, and now part of that is because our generation is kind of the among the first generations with as it has destigmatized mental health as much as it has been destigmatized to date. Um, And so because of that, you know, I mean, like, and there's a lot of recognition among like Gen Z, Gen Z remarking that like, you know, our boomer dads are uh, distant and, um, you know, uh, emotionally unavailable because they never sought therapy. And wow, you know, you see a lot of remarks on TikTok from Gen Z uh, saying, I wish my dad had seeked therapy in the 80s. Right. And there. Yeah, that, that that that. Those things do play together, and I cannot recommend enough for people out there who are seeking to become parents to attempt to process and address your mental health now rather than being 18 years from now and your kids process like having to process their own mental health while processing your mental health or hoping that you're not doing this whole dynamic um i mean this is i don't know like and i'm 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 speaking from myself there a lot i mean i am right now trying to get set up so that i can address my mental health and largely that's because i recognize some things that are coping mechanisms in me and things that i have adapt have adapted to and and things that exist with me that i just don't want to put on my kids or i don't want to echo into my kids um and i just want to learn how to process stop being a prepper (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i mean like yeah it's uh yeah learning to deal with this stuff is 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 important both as a as a kid to your parents and as a parent to your kids, right? And this is the the in-between that we all kind of sit in right now. I, I would assume most of the listeners of this podcast are kind of sitting in right now, right? We're uh, early middle-aged folks uh, who are both trying to help our parents process through lives while we process through lives, and we're about to uh, help younger people who are our kids process through lives. And it's it's a difficult point of life or yeah, all of this kind of comes together. And I think something important that all of this also rides on is something that I think is the, f- one of the most important things either of us has said on this podcast. Uh, and it came from you, uh, a quote of that ideas are not a stone you can pick up and just throw away. They're a tree with roots into the ground, the roots into your mind that go into all of these other ideas that you have and you can take it out. But the, those roots are still going to be in there unless you really do the work to processing stuff and getting it out. And that's something that, you know, we also have to consider when with our kids of like we don't want those seeds to set for some of these ideas. Right. Uh, and that's yeah, all of this kind of folds all together.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, mental health is a huge part of, I mean, like, in, in a sense, it's it's the the primary focus of, of our discussions to begin with is, you know, between just us and a lot of the men we know, it, it's a mental health is a big problem. And it was a like, I, something I was going to mention, because, you know, we, we talk a lot about like, oh, go get mental health, you know, services like immediately. And um, something that you know gets talked about at length of course in plenty of spaces but it's worth mentioning here again is that like access to mental health is not universal um this is my problem right now i
0: don't have insurance so
1: <laughs> yeah and a lot of insurance doesn't cover mental health and it's freaking expensive to do any kind of medical anything without insurance uh, access to to these things isn't universal and so like sometimes like you know, I can very easily imagine plenty of people who are like, okay, sure. Yeah. No, I, I even agree with you. Like, yeah, I don't have a problem with mental health. I don't like, where am I going to find a thing that I can afford? And I'm like, well, uh, I don't know. You know, like the, it's, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, I certainly would recommend like trying to find, like, I, I think like healthy gamer is a really good positive, like uh, sort of like, you can like see the experience to kind of vicariously get it through some of those interviews, maybe like, maybe those things can help you realize things about yourself. Um, you know, there are certainly resources out there to tap into that might help you explore some of that, but I can, I, I, I have a great deal of like sympathy for a lot of the people who, you know, are trapped in this kind of cycle of mental, uh, how unhe- um, being mentally unhealthy because they can't afford it, and oftentimes, mental lack of mental health <laughs> uh, has a direct impact on your ability to succeed and thrive uh, in under any system. But certainly, uh, capitalism is one where um, those who struggle with mental health issues have uh, a lot of difficulties finding. Uh, success and stability,
0: a hundred percent. And I mean, yeah, and I I relate to this very deeply and very personally and very immediately. Like, I don't have health insurance right now, and want to seek mental health, but just flat can't afford to uh, despite my household making a fair amount of money but without insurance it's just not affordable even with insurance it's something that i'm going to struggle to afford but i'm willing to do anyways as soon as i can get insurance and it it's also a reason why like i have a degree in psychology i have a lot of bachelor's level understanding this like I'm not I don't have a master's degree in psychology uh, and because I don't have that master's degree because I don't have that industry experience because I don't have a licensure I'm real hesitant to give anybody any real advice on this on this podcast. and i'm and i and like that that hesitancy leads me to often be like people ask me like where can i go for yeah free mental health advice these kind of things and it's hard to say like well yeah i agree with everything you just said there i also struggle with telling people that and that's part of the whole problem is like we've we've drawn ourselves into this corner where it's like we all recognize we need mental health we all are being able to pick up a lot of information on the internet, but we all also are aware that a lot of the information we're getting on the internet is problematic and less than correct. And so like, I know like myself, I'm left over here sitting here. Like on one hand, I have very clearly, uh, self-diagnosed ADHD in myself through what I know from school and what I know online. I also know that self-diagnoses are incredibly problematic and self-diagnoses, uh, further informed by online information are even more problematic. So it's like it's it's like this cognitive bias. I don't know if that's even the right word for it. Yeah. Bouncing although... around in my head where I'm like, do I? Don't I? Am I crazy for thinking I do? Am I crazy for thinking I don't? Am I just like, yeah. <laughs> I, I will actually say that from my understanding, like that's
1: certainly true when it comes to like uh the non-mental. And here's where, you know, that that separation is helpful in a model. Like, um, that's true. It's, it's true. Somewhat universally. I mean, certainly don't, if you're getting to the stage that you desire to self-medicate, <laughs> like you're getting like, you're like, Oh, well, uh, I don't know. Like heroin is similar to this drug or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like,
0: please don't, like, don't do that. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't self-medicate yourself if you think you have a mental disorder. Okay. Like that's not good. Sit, not or safe, <laughs> but like, uh, I, if if your self-diagnosis is a first step to like i want to go talk to a therapist and say like hey i was doing some thinking and i looked up some things and i feel like i have a lot of things in common with people who like common experiences with people that have like adhd or you know uh our autism spectrum something like that like because i have i had the same kind of struggle internally with myself about uh going because i've i've been diagnosed with like depression and I take some medication for that and it helps a lot, but it doesn't help fully. And there's still aspects of my my experience that I, I feel like there's a label on there that like it has me wanting to go get tested in some way for uh, you know, some sort of high functioning autism or something like that. But I mean that that all set aside, like my understanding is that that self-diagnosis actually is considered a very helpful starting point from uh from the mental health like psychiatry and, and and therapy spheres because sometimes you know like any kind of diagnosis is is a bit of a bundle of symptoms and if there's some degree that like so- someone comes in and says like hey i have this idea about what's going on with me sometimes that can like help uh the exploration at least like it gives them kind of a bundle of things to start with and you may be wrong in your diagnosis but they'll know where to go from there to make sure and a lot of times like uh, at the very least you'll be you'll people don't generally come with a self-diagnosis without being at least somewhat in uh, some kind of ballpark (laughs) um less so with physical things because physical things like are super multi-causal and weird but like mental health is a little bit more constrained is that's kind of like how i understand i'm a layman also so i don't really like i don't want to like come off as like as if i know of, you know really really know what i'm talking about it's just just like what i've picked up from from stuff and and my own personal experiences with it but um i've been told that like it's actually helpful to to come in and say like i think i have adhd and like someone will be like well okay cool let's talk about that like it it serves as a helpful jumping off point unlike unlike uh your doctor where if you go in and say i think i have uh throat cancer because my throat hurts uh that that's not helpful (laughs) uh there's too many reasons your throat could hurt you know
0: yeah i can definitely see the validity in that and i i I think that's a fair point and i think that's kind of like where i start slipping into that yeah like am i reading my self-diagnosis like a WebMD report like has and i mean like and i i see this kind of I think part of what gets this into my head is seeing this kind of float around some uh, uh, psych student um, circles where it's like, you know, the idea of like the 88 online online self-diagnosis of ADHD kind of becoming the WebMD diagnosis of cancer, right? Of like, uh, the, the, you know, there's, there's, a huge, because ADHD has this huge, broad spectrum of possible symptoms. And so it's really easy to have just a couple of those that could be a part of entirely other diagnoses. Um, but the internet, Kind of ends up telling you it's ADHD, which, to be fair, though that would you know that's also been an argument of like things that happened in actual diagnosis through the '90s, where there was some potential misdiagnosis and overdiagnosis that existed because ADHD has a huge umbrella of things, and in less trained practitioners, and just because the industry of psychology is very new and very small, uh, it had a higher potentiality for misdiagnosis, which also I have to and god so many times this episode this podcast becomes me ranting about psychology and now i'm going to defend psychology (laughs) to some degree uh in some defense of psychology part of that is just because it is so new and it is so new because mental health has for so long been so taboo and something that just nobody talks about nobody addresses nobody deals with And so we are stuck with the, the, to be frank, the field of mental health is in a place where physical health was at in the beginning of the 20th century when doctors were sawing off legs to deal with minor problems or things. I don't know how physical health works, but, you know, it was heroin for your all of your problems. And like that, it's kind of where we're at with mental health, like we're. Kind of new in the field of psychology uh, and when like it it, where it's actually became a science like we've done a lot of psychology for a long time. But to be blunt and to be frank, it wasn't a science until about 30 years ago. Um, And that's me and my hatred of Freud coming out because Freud wasn't a scientist.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, certainly like I mean, in the same way that like, you know. Early chemistry started out with alchemy, the desire to turn lead into gold, right? Like, uh, this is—I uh, certainly find like a lot of like early psychology stuff to be a little bit reminiscent of that. Of like, I can the, turn the kinds of things that they came up with and stuff strike me as like turning lead into gold type stuff.
0: Yeah, like I can turn your trauma from World War One. I into a heroin addiction <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> uh, or or in freud's case it's you're just traumatized from world war one because you secretly want to bang your mom now that's uh an unfair actually an unfair criticism is how everyone focuses on that element of freud uh, but nobody wants to focus as much on how how much cocaine that man did and how little science he did but <laughs> anyways i'm way off topic (laughs) yeah the reason that that you want to bang your mom is completely
1: different okay it has (laughs) nothing to do with your mental health
0: I just ah I could write papers on how much I hate Freud, but that's not what this podcast is about. Uh that's that'll be my next podcast. Just I hate Freud the podcast. Um next next episode. You're like, welcome
1: to Lonely Masculinity today. We're talking about how much Freud sucks. <laughs> I just
0: can't hold it in any longer. <laughs> it's gotta come out. <laughs> um what was our last topic? Our last topic is gender in labor, which is somewhat ironic following up a top following up a new an unexpected topic of psychology because psychology has been forever such a gendered labor industry but again not the point not the point we already talked about that um yeah so from the and i think this is actually a really important one with kids because uh, i think kids are where this like this crops up with our kids i've heard from so many parents Even when they, like, aggressively try to teach this out of their kids, it pops up. They come home one day and they say something about, like, well, I can't bake or do interior design because that's a girl's job. Um, The the, the gendered constraints of our society sink into kids ridiculously well. And that's part of the problem.
1: Uh, And it starts super, super, super early. I mean, like, I think I've mentioned before about how, uh, you know, my oldest has, you know, came home from like kindergarten or pre-K or something like that, like four or five or maybe six years old at the latest. And was like, uh, you know, oh, how about this one? You know, uh, can I have a different cup? This one's pink. like oh what's wrong with pink oh it's a girl's color it's like uh who told you that because that's dumb that was my actual response yeah it starts super early and some of that is some of that has to do with um other other parents parents who do not (laughs) yeah who do not have the uh uh, who who lack awareness of this as a problem um is about the most diplomatic way i can think of putting that um and so yeah and this 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 comes stems from the the inherent problem with parenting is that inevitably your child runs into influences that stem from other people that you can't control (laughs) uh and so this is why you can't uh bubble your kids like you have to get them to interact with the real world because the real world contains that toxicity and you want to protect them from it but in the same way that if you um you know if you try to protect your child from uh every possibly dangerous thing like one of the things like uh uh that we've seen is like uh um the increased prevalence uh so like there's some evidence to suggest the increased prevalence of peanut butter allergies is because of the withdrawal of peanut butter from children's diets like people started discovering that people can be allergic to this and then they went well don't give it to kids that can be dangerous if they have an allergic reaction at a young age and then like no one gave them any peanut butter until they're older. So they developed a peanut butter allergy. Like, so there's a little bit of that when it comes to like this kind of thing as well. If you don't prepare your children to interact with the real world, then inevitably when they have to go and do it, then they will be unprepared and they will act like an unprepared person and crumble and probably end up accepting a lot of toxic stuff that you wanted to protect them from because you didn't prepare them on how to process toxicity.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I mean, that's, um, yeah, I think that kind of dives right into the crux of what this problem is, which is, yeah, I mean, like, all of the the same thing, like, happens. Yeah, I've had this happen with kids who aren't my own kids, you know, kids that I'm uh, in, in charge of supervising and will, yeah, say something like, oh, you're wearing a pink shirt, Mr. Tom, that's a girl's shirt. And it's like, who told you that? Well, my brick brother did, or my dad did, or my uncle did, or it's always yeah something like that, and it's it's frustrating. And kids are really quick to pick up on any new. And in- I, I think an important, in my opinion, an important element of this is that kids are super quick to pick up on any new information that they hear. And this is one of the reasons I think it's bad to beat around the bush with kids to avoid. Teaching kids things because they're like this is some a concept I commonly run into in like rural spaces is this well we just don't bring up these subjects with kids and then they'll learn it in their own time and I think that's a really bad strategy because kids are really quick to pick up the first ideology they hear and if the first ideology they hear is their racist sexist friend's dad berating them on how pink is a color for girls. That's what's going to stick in their head. If the first ideology they heard was you warning them that other people's racist, sexist dad was going to tell them something like that and you need to process that and understand like, why would that make any sense? Why would a color be specifically for girls that makes no sense? There's no logic to that. That hopefully is going to be the, what's going to stick in their head and they're going to be more resistant to the thing that comes on down the down the line.
1: Yeah. And I'll, I'll jump in on this and say, like, actually, this is one of the things about like normal, the word normal and normal concepts and what I will uh, obnoxiously, pretentiously call like hegemonic ideology that like pisses me off. Um, like people like get really high and mighty about this kind of stuff about like, oh, you know, we, we don't teach our kids that like that's too. And you're like, That's, that's crap. Like, it's the same kind of thing that people say, like, when, like, I don't want to see two men kissing in public. That's sexualizing my children. It's like, you show them fucking Disney. Okay. Like, (laughs) it's, I don't think that showing Disney to children is inherently wrong. Like, I think it's fine to show kids problematic media because problematic media is every media. And you have to show them stuff and you have to get them to learn to process things and recognize assumptions that are built in and stuff like that. Like that's part of my job as a parent. I get that. I don't think that you should not show your kids Disney. I think that you shouldn't pretend that like that, like asking your five-year-old if this female friend of his is his girlfriend is less sexualizing than like seeing two boys hugging and saying that's gay. Like, god that that really bothers me like because it's so like it it, it lacks understanding like it's it's like people that have just absorbed all all, like the default assumptions of of society as just like the blanket normal and it's like that's dumb like like uh (laughs) because i i I don't even know how to like grasp and, and like like deliver the amount of like stupid this that this is like it's just so like they people inject uh heteronormativity like boy and girl relationships they inject christianity they inject all kinds of ideological assumptions like capitalism stuff like that like it's just normal to 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 go to a job and earn money and other stuff like as if that's been the mode of operation for all of human history and fucking hasn't like people inject all the stuff without any question at all. But then like something that like slightly goes against the norm comes to like, well, we don't want to, you know, like mess with children. You got to keep them with the normal, like normal, normal stuff. Uh, that that's not challenging or doesn't contain any ideology at all. Anyway, let's go to Walmart and use our money from our job or we sold our labor
0: to buy goods and services like, ah, <laughs> yeah. I mean and i i come from an extreme background of this like i come from a school that echoed this constantly of like we do not uh, we, we're not going to teach your kids anything we're non-ideological we're not going to we're not going to indoctrinate your kids in any kind of a way and then they would pressure or require us to go to uh, the prayer at the flag shit in the mornings um there was teachers who would do prayer stuff in class um, there was like, you know, like in, in science class, we would, you know, anytime they brought up evolution, there would always be the unless you're like a Christian and then you believe these things like there was so much of like, well, we aren't going to teach uh, racial issues and things of that nature. We're not going to do Martin Luther King Day because there's no black students here. So that doesn't matter. Like I this was like in my high school this was a specific thing that came up where me and a group of students requested from the print like from the principal's office and, and keep in mind we went to a very small school so there was very little bureaucracy compared to other schools like my graduating class was like 20 people and so we went to the principal's office about like why don't we have a day off for martin luther king day why don't we celebrate black history month and they told us well there's no black students here so we don't need to do those things (laughs) <laughs> and you know, it, it, it's it's things like that. And then they'll be like, "Well, no, we don't we, we don't ide we don't teach any kind of ideology here." And it's like you are actively doing that by refusing to acknowledge that certain things exist in the world, like black people exist in the world. And maybe you should teach your kids about the shit they went through or are going through currently, just because you're an all white school. And also, maybe you should question why the fuck you're an all white school, like. In the demographics of America, that just doesn't really make sense. I, uh, yeah, and I mean, and, and, and yeah, and like, this very much comes to forefront when we talk about dating, relationships, and sexuality. Uh, it was the, the same reason why every time it would. Come up in a conversation in a school board meeting or among some parents or something of maybe we should teach some form of sexual uh, education in any of the middle school or high schools that I went to, and it would always get shot down with this. Well, we we're afraid that you know we'll be teaching uh, ideologies and things and all of this to kids, and then like yeah, do we don't want to teach an ideology? We don't want to um, brainwash these kids, and then they would put us through at least two. Uh, gymnasium, uh, what do they call those things where they they would come and uh, prep pep, pep rallies. Pep
1: rallies? Two yeah. pep rallies a God, year. God, I hated those. <laughs>
0: they would be dedicated to um, abstinence-only education. And all of this bullshit about how if you ever kiss somebody, you're kissing everybody they've ever kissed. If you ever have sex with anybody, you're having sex with everybody. They like, they actively... To- you want to talk about not indoctrinating people into hegemonic uh, bullshit. They Oh, acti- no, that's just it. They're fine with indoctrinating people into hegemonic bullshit because <laughs> they don't see it as
1: ideology. Yeah, they see I mean, it
0: as what's normal, but it yeah. isn't like they actively told us specifically told us. That if we had sex with a girl who wasn't a virgin, and this wasn't even about like, you know, even right now, like, don't, this whole thing was like, if you're a woman and you have sex, you're worthless now because you lose the value of even marriage. Because they were like, even if you marry a woman who lost her virginity, this is the case. So if you have sex, they, they told us this in a high school. Gymnasium in two thousand and six. If you have sex with a woman who has had sex with another man, that means you have had sex with everyone she's had sex with, so therefore you're gay now. So if you Wait, don't they actually it,
1: say that to you? Yes.
0: And to, to God. I went to high
1: school before you and mine was not even that extreme. <laughs> I mean it was it was it was insufficient and bad and very abstinence focused, but they at least, like, talked about the, that, like, condoms were a thing that existed, and uh, you should probably
0: use them to prevent STDs. Uh, we were actively told you, to not were, trust them. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't trust condoms. They would be like, oh, condoms exist, but you should never rely on condoms because they are not in any kind of a way, like, reliable. And, so, and sure enough, like, we had shitloads of unwanted pregnancies because people wouldn't use basic like uh what's the word I'm looking for here starts with the contraceptives they wouldn't use contraceptives i mean yeah. i was in my mid fucking 20s and my best fucking friend from high school asks me one day how it is that i've been living with my wife and we don't have any kids and i say well we we use protection and he's like well that doesn't work what do you actually do <laughs> We use protection <laughs> and he just flat out it, could not believe that that was the case. Cause he, he was fully indoctrinated that condoms and birth control don't work. Abstinence is the only thing that keeps you from getting pregnant. Yeah. They, they certainly, they certainly, uh,
1: you know, mine, mine was certainly filled with like a lot of similar things. They did say like, like we, we were shown like numbers, like, you know, pull-out method works at this rate, um, condoms work at this rate, birth control works at this rate, like uh, combining, you know, this and this works at this rate, like all that stuff. Like we were shown some numbers that like showed that like, you know, the efficacy of like birth control pills, for example, was like, and then like 99% type of thing when taken appropriately. Um, you know, so like I, I got some some honesty to that in my thing, Uh, But certainly uh, there was a heavy emphasis still on, uh, you know, abstinence as a strategy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and there's echoes of this today when you look at the anti-mask conservative crowd who will argue that, well, masks don't work 100%, so why should we ever use them? Vaccines don't work 100%, so why should we ever use them? And it's like, name me something that works at 100% rate. Like, no one believes this. Like...
1: It's just a cudgel that they use to to get rid of things that they don't like.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, like, it, it's, it's such broken, faulty logic. And, I mean, like, sure, condoms don't work 100% and birth control works. Condoms work 99% and birth control works 99%. So, you use both, then you have layers of mitigation. Like, it... uh... you're
1: you're you're like this is this is where the the uh you know a certain kind of analysis comes in right or it's like oh well the thing is is like you're taking them at their word but they don't actually mean that they don't actually think that there's no evidence their evidence doesn't back them up there and it certainly isn't like um how they act universally they certainly don't go around acting like things that aren't 100 are unreliable because they wouldn't drive their car, they wouldn't go outside, <laughs> they wouldn't stay in their house either. they just like literally just die and collapse into a ball of indecision due to their inability to interact with anything that doesn't have 100% consistency. They, like, they don't act like that. They just say that as a cover for the thing that they really think, which is that people that have sex deserve to be punished with children. Which sucks. That's a, that's a shitty thing to say uh first of all it's a shitty way to view children as a punishment like (laughs) i mean children are are hard in many many ways but like please (laughs) please stop using children as a cudgel to punish women and mostly only women because there's no forcing function to make men stay around really other than child support type stuff like like and
0: and child support isn't used in that way it's just purely used as a way to put black men and men of color in prison that's i mean like find a single family that has been forced to de- together by uh, uh child support it, it's not the way it functions it's not the way it's intended to function it's purely another avenue to pe- put people in the prison system so that we can profit off of their body
1: yeah yeah there's like a lot of like of smokescreen that goes into uh the the whole argument around this stuff um i i get like very frustrated when it comes to some of the stuff uh because uh not only do people like deliver shitty arguments about it but like also like they like they act really morally superior and i can't stand people that do that in general especially not when it comes to things that they're like demonstrably wrong about in a really obvious way um and or in some cases it's not even obvious but like in a very like clear and explicable way and then like like you try to show it to them they're like that's just not how i think and you're like that's not a defense you can't just ah gonna go around criticizing other people you can't just like then like oh well that's just my opinion like no like you have to like stand like defend yourself <laughs> like uh because like and that's that's the extra frustrating thing here is like be- the reason that they get to do that is because they know that they are backed in- whether they consciously are aware of it in the moment or not is irrelevant the reason that they get to safely have that attitude is because they know that they are backed by the hedge current hegemony and that like they can go to 20 of their friends who all say like oh that guy is just one of them you know like you know activist types who things they got it all figured out and all that stuff and it's like uh you're fine you know like get all this validation from that and then like they go watch like fucking like the view or the talk or whatever and then like they say the same bullshit and it's just like uh <laughs> yeah yeah anyway this and is it, really it, really far afield from gender and labor
0: but uh <laughs> i mean it's it, it yeah i mean i i know we how are, we got but, here i'm just yeah like, it, it's also the framework of that because i mean and yeah, it's also it important is. to note that like something like the the genderization of, of labor in america can't take place without both sides having buy-in and this is something that i have a problem with from the um the liberal left of, of america and i say liberal left just to to trying to specify that like when i say liberals i don't you know what i mean liberals in america are guilty of this there's this thing in america where we want to say that all the bad things in america are the fault of the conservatives and all the good things are like the the liberals and this is one of those things where like liberals buy into this a lot too and follow a lot of the same bullshit and a lot of the times it's done in this kind of a yeah this the same well
1: extraordinarily I, condescending
0: yes extraordinary yeah. condescending this false neutrality of like well i'm just not teaching my kids one or the other and like oh like you like you saw this all like and like i want to
1: purpose this with like i am absolutely not anti-vax you should get vaccinated the science supports it all that stuff but like god like the amount that I wanted to punch all of my liberal friends for like the constant intellectual condescension that they showed to people who didn't want to get vaccinated. Holy shit. Like, like, like depicting every anti-vax person as something like buck like suspender with no shirt wearing like a uh, moron who like, doesn't know the difference, doesn't know that two plus two equals four. Like, God, I hated that so much because not, not only is it incredibly condescending and and evidence shows that that kind of condescension makes people double down on their belief. It does not convince them that they're wrong, but also it's extraordinarily classist. Like the idea that like it like all their depictions of like the dumb people that don't want to get vaccinated always like make a look super poor and like, God, I hate that so much. It's just like so like. It's exactly, it's exactly the, uh, you know, perpetuating the hegemony because it's like, you know, aren't, aren't people who are smart and rich, uh, uh, mostly rich, uh, uh, good, you know, they're good people because they say
0: the good things because they have uh, the money, like, yeah, God, that sucks. I mean, you're, you're right. And, 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 and I know, I, I know I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but am I gotta go there. It's a podcast. Podcasts are about rabbit holes. It's fine. Um, Yeah. (laughs) With that, there has been this kind of a, like, liberals have been so quick to want to rely on things like the Lincoln Project. With this idea of fixing the conservatism of rural spaces by relying on things like the Lincoln Project of, like, oh, well, how do we use the good Rational, wealthy, moderate conservatives of rural areas to de radicalize these spaces when the The fucking reality is that the wealthy people, all the fucking landlords in rural spaces are the ones who are driving the jacked up Ford F-150s that cost $60,000 that they're driving through these fucking rallies with American flags hung off of them. The Trump crowd of rural spaces now, and I mean, don't get me wrong, like there are problems in my community and in like you know when i say when i say my community i mean like low-income rural spaces like there are uh cycles of, ab- of of abuse and issues that exist there that cause a lot of folks to be susceptible to far-right ideologies uh i talk about this on this podcast a little bit I talk about it quite a bit on handy with handguns about like times that i've accidentally wandered into white supremacist like When I say like, I mean, like, you know, walked into somebody's house and they had a Nazi SS flag on the wall kind of shit Um, that does exist in those spaces. But the vast majority, the voting block of rural spaces, the people who have the time to take time off of work on a Tuesday to go vote, the people who own all of the ability to push and market the Trump sphere, all those fucking people are the wealthy landlord uh, landed class of rural spaces, the people who own all the shit and run all the ideas and run all the city councils and have time to do all the fucking shit that actually runs, like runs communities. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean that in the, like the authoritarians of rural space, um, to people who own the fucking farms. That's not the regular everyday people of rural spaces though. And and that it just, it irks me that like there this, there there is there has been and there is this push to reach out to those folks as if those are the moderates and all the poor people are the extremists and it's such a flip-flop of that reality but like coastal wealthy elite uh liberals don't know that because they're blinded by their own classism sorry i oh, went yeah. down a whole rabbit hole no there, but... <laughs> i feel the same way i i i i it
1: it, go, it goes all over me and like it's super obvious to me because I was raised conservative and like they complain about this and like I still hate it um and you know I adopted it for a while like as like I kind of like pushed back against my upbringing of like you know like I kind of adopted that liberal arrogant intellectual effect and like I've spent the past like four or five years trying really hard to or really more like the past two years <laughs> trying really hard to like just rip that stuff out of my language out of my attitude out of my effect because like fucking hate the people that that act like this because like they act like they're so much better and they're like equally as dumb in 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 so many ways and like I I I think I think this is like kind of the reason that I think like a lot of like like more left-leaning people like you and I get really frustrated with like liberals more so than conservatives is exactly is partially because like we're forced into spaces with people like this who like we're also expected to treat as allies and friends when they just like often are bludgeoning the working class over the head with the same stuff that the conservatives are they're just doing it from a different angle and they're just as weak to fascism and like the and we don't get to have the honest fight because every time we do it's like oh you don't you think that you know like they they bring that arrogant like condescension like down in our direction it's like oh you think that you're so smart well you know some of us are just living here in the real world where we just need to 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 vote for joe biden because he's a lot better than donald trump and it's like okay like i agree with you that that's the case but like that's not a reason to not criticize Joe Biden or criticize or, or not criticize liberals that do that. Like, like the things that conservatives complain about when it comes to liberals are not without merit. Like you guys do treat them like garbage and you guys do act like you're better than them. And a lot of you really do think that you're better than them. And you really aren't like you have like a a lot of like, there's a lot of like utilizing the languages and and movements of justice to like you know do some like catharsis and some individual like grant grandization i think this is like a lot of what's wrong with like twitter is like there's a lot of people on there who are like uh like using gaining individual social clout by being like look how good and progressive and like useful i am that do like materially fuck all for the actual like people who are oppressed under all of these systems like uh and a lot of liberals are engaged in this kind of stuff and it like really bothers me because i just want to like shake them and be like like no like the reason that they hate you is because you act like this like (laughs) like we need
0: leftist country music back (laughs) oh (laughs) god so uh yeah (laughs) yeah and i mean and this is one of the things i actually really enjoy about living and recently enjoy God, this is a weird dynamic, because, yeah, I recently have came to really enjoy about living in the Midwest. Uh, now in Oklahoma, in Missouri, um, maybe a little less so in Kansas. In Kansas, I don't know, I, I wasn't in Kansas long enough to know. It was too fucking cold in Kansas. But anyways, to my point, um, there is, in leftist spaces here, I get more working class folks. Um, more this, what we're talking about right here. Um, more connected to the real world and this is something you see i see I, I think i see at least in uh leftist spaces online you know when you kind of talk about like uh uh cornbread communism uh this idea of leftist spaces in the south who uh you know folks who have been fighting back against this shit for you know since the cold wars and have never gotten any recognition of that, and have always kind of been looked down on by coastal leftists—or well, not leftists, but coastal liberals—as uh, either non-existent or just part of the problem. You know, I was like, "Well, the South is just all racist and horrible," without recognizing their own problems on the ground where they stand—that uh, belongs to indigenous folks—that they uh, of, of whom's land they have stolen, and. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I do, you know. This is one of the things that, like, I I I think I went through in a lot of ways a similar path as you. I went to college and immediately went pretty hard into the liberalism, and that I wanted to escape. I wanted to go to a coast. I, you know, I I I dropped all my country roots. Um, because I wanted to get as far away from that as possible. I looked down on it. I looked down on all of it in this kind of a shitty way. I bought into the whole, you know, uh, the c- c- elite coastal wealthy liberals are better than everybody else shit. Um, and it really took some deprogramming after college and some a- events that happened in my life to bounce me back to my own reality. Um, and like... Yeah, very. I-
1: Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I see a lot of that attitude uh, of people that like live here and are in that space who like end up going like, I can't wait till I can move out of Oklahoma and go to like some greater place. I'm like, you know, I'll ask them like, oh yeah, where do you want to go? And they'll be like, New York or Colorado, or it's just like, you, do you really think those places are better? Like you think there aren't a bunch of conservatives there? They may not have the power that liberals do, but like, uh, there was a New York Times piece recently that like uh, it was like a video uh, article that was like talking about how like liberal states are some of the worst havens of the stuff that progressives claim to care about. Like it, like they they do not do better. Like they may be better at hiding it. But if that's why you like them, you should think about that for a second. <laughs> yep. Like, hmm. If all you really care about is that they're showing you their racism and you're fine with the racism, but you just want them to hide
0: it a little bit better. What's that say about what you're you actually may not like?
1: actually be anti racist.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, like, this is a really petty element of all of this. I used to be very self-conscious and I still am pretty, I still have some self-consciousness about it, about like my teeth. My teeth are crooked uh, just because like growing up, we part of it was that we couldn't afford it. Part of it was just that it wasn't really a thing. Like I didn't, you know, getting braces purely for um, aesthetic reasons just really wasn't a thing in my community for, yeah, we didn't do that. Um, So I have crooked ass teeth. Um and I in college was desperate to make the kind of money so that I could fix it. I wanted to fix my fucked up teeth. And post college being in so many spaces as you know, because I I I you know I I I blend I learned it I learned learned it I learned real quick how to blend into wealthy um you know leftist spaces or not leftist, wealthy liberal spaces. And met so much of this classism and this kind of stuff and all of this, you know, cajoling at uh, at, at, at country and Southern identities, uh, rural spaces, that I eventually passed into a point where I like, like, I wear my teeth like a tattoo. It is my aggressive fuck you way of saying that, like, oh, you have a problem with poor people? Well, hi, I used to be one. Nice to meet you, you asshole. It's... I don't know. It's yeah. my it's my thing that I don't know. I, I guess that's my way of showing how that has the road that that. Yeah, like that, how that pushed me after college and for a lot of folks, it just pushes them away for a lot of folks who are still in you know, like I got lucky. I married out of the working class, like out of well, I guess I'm still in the working class, but I married out of the economic level I was in before college. Um, I got real fucking lucky for folks who exist in those communities. We, the liberal, the liberal, liberal, uh, elitism pushes them away. And as you said, deeper into their like deeper into their own ideologies, deeper into these own problems. And it's just a bad way of addressing this stuff. So I guess that sort of wraps us back around to what we're trying to talk about. Like, yeah don't act shitty to people based on class you know class consciousness is something that takes a lot of time to unravel and to fix and it is something that the seeds of it can be sown into all of us even those from low-income communities the the class consciousness can the, the classism can be sown into our mind real easy and it's real hard to break that out but it isn't hard to just not be an asshole to people because of their class
1: yeah for sure and i think like to to bring us like full circle back around to the like gender and labor thing i think a lot of that i think a lot of that can be done you know helped in the future by you know being conscientious of those things and learn like in the same way that i've talked about like you know i point out man whites or whatever they're fucking called to my son and point out like things like this to try to like get him in the habit of thinking and questioning and going like you know like oh if something's being marketed at me or has is being marketed in a certain way question that like recognize that the motivation here is to make money like you know I think similarly like you know recognizing some of those patterns and like uh, whether it's like, oh, this is a girl job, or uh, this music's for uh, dumb conservatives. Um, by that they mean poor people. Uh, you know, <clears throat> people do this with rap. You know, uh, the, oh. the whole rap isn't music thing is entirely a is so entirely a uh, attempt to uh, yeah to to be both racist and classist because a lot of rap at the time that that was like super super prominent was uh uh also had like a very like a uh, class element to you know it's all about like being like in a gang and you know like like i mean even that is a bit of a stereotype but like point being like that being the thing they would complain about like well why are people in gangs because they're fucking poor uh and they don't have options to get out of that uh beyond crime so like
0: Ways you, know. you you know, it, 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 there's a lot of dynamics to this. This is something again I talk about in handy with handguns, but there's a lot of dynamics to that that include uh, you know a lack of policing in low income neighborhoods and having to take matters into your own hand as far as community uh, protection, uh, and and a lot of other things that are less noble. But I mean. Yeah, you're 100 percent. This is something that like my background doing hip hop, I ran into so much was people's unprocessed racism and classism and how they feel about hip hop of, yeah, the same attitude, you know, the, the, the right down the middle attitude of like, I like rock. I don't like disco and I don't like that rap shit or like, you know, so often in liberal spaces, I run into people who will tell me that, oh, what kind of music do you like? Oh, I'll listen to anything but rap and country. Why don't you listen to those two? Well, it's because rap uh, it, they have unprocessed racist ideas about rap, and with country they have unprocessed classist ideas about country. Uh, well, country music, well, that's just a bunch of hillbillies talking about their trucks and you know how they lost their wife. And with rap, it, they have attitudes about gangs and and, and it just being about like you know gangs and drugs and women, which. In both cases, that's not what rap is about. That's not what country is about. You are drawing broad stroke um, um, stereotypes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. stereotypes, and it it is that. It, yeah, it, it's racism and it's classism and it's unprocessed. Now, and, and all of that said, I'm not saying that if you have, and as we've talked about a lot in this podcast, I'm not saying that if you have said those things and you have felt those ways that. You're a horrible person who is unfixed. Just saying you have a lot that you need to stop and process. If you catch yeah, yourself I mean, saying like, that, stop and process. It's Think about
1: legitimately it. legitimately fine to not like country music. Like if you're like, I, and, and like, maybe, maybe even like that is at some deep psychological level, a result that like, if you went to therapy, you'd find out that like it has to do with like uh, a disdain for, you know the aesthetics of poorness or the sound of poorness or whatever like maybe but like no one's no one's like there's a lot of like potentially weird and problematic shit that like might be the result of you know bad ideas that you have in there and like maybe you know like but people are just allowed to not like stuff like No one said, no, you don't have to like listen to country music or your classes. Like, that's not how that works. Like if you don't like it, you don't like it. It's fine. Like no one has to, but like, if you start going as far as saying like, it's not real music, like, or like any of that, like that sucks. That is where like, I start to feel the need to like argue. Like, I, I certainly encourage you to say, if you don't like a genre, an entire genre of music categorically, you should probably expand your idea a little bit because I have yet to find uh despite the fact that I said some of those things uh you know not not too terribly long ago like you know year at least four or five years ago i I said something about rap to that effect right like and you know uh in the meantime like I came out of a lot of uh you know some of my uh ideas about like race and class and stuff in a way that like um, you know, I changed my perspective on those things, and then, like, later came back, to, uh, was introduced to, like, hip-hop and rap um, by um, some people that did like it, and they said, like, oh, you should try these these people, and, like, came to find that, like, oh, I actually ended up enjoying it a lot more, uh, and that, you know, maybe actually my dislike of it didn't really have anything to do with the fact that it wasn't music, or it wasn't good, or any of that. It had something to do with some ideas in my head that have changed since then, you know, like, um
0: yeah i've i've been guilty of this i used I, to do... I would just
1: encourage people to like question it a little bit more and like really try to think about it maybe try it out and see like if uh maybe you don't quite feel that way after you know
0: yeah I, I i used to feel the same way about pop music i was one of the, my my category of all oh, like anything but pop and now and to be sure i think there are just as i can get into some systemic problems in hip-hop today and some systemic problems in country music today i think there are some systemic issues in pop music yeah there's uh, elements of it being commercialized and consumerized and made into this kind of a mechanical thing that isn't uh super fantastic but my blasting it all down as one genre was due to some ideas that had been in my head and left roots in there. Uh, those ideas were rooted in uh, sexism and, uh, um, and in some ways, classism. Uh, you know, there's, there's a thing that comes from growing up in a low-income community where you really fucking hate rich people, and pop music to me was rich white people music, and I fucking hated it for that. And that's a little problem. Like, there's there were some problems to un- unravel with that. And, and then also yeah, I saw it as music that was intended for girls. That was not okay of me. I had to oh, process that out. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there's, it's fine to process shit. It's not fine to not process things. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And like,
1: I, I, I agree with that. And in fact, I found a lot of like, uh, you know a lot of times like a lot of a lot of times you'll find like the people in the industry that you have a problem with like in that genre of music or whatever often have criticisms of that thing for example um uh i have a guilty pleasure when it comes to pop music specifically in uh kesha i like kesha a lot uh, i love electronic sounding stuff it probably stems from my love of video game music but uh um I heard her in an interview once. There's a song she had that I would listen to. I've listened to it a handful of times and it made me uncomfortable. It's just like, oh, it's very aggressively, like, uh, it's called uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And, like, to, to, uh, without getting deep into it, like, the lyrics are essentially like, uh, uh, you know, stop, give me, like, blah, 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 like, as in, like, don't, don't keep chatting at me. Don't just, like, get in the back, take off your pants, like, have sex with me and then we'll be done like it's a very aggressive like in that but i always listen to it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable uh and uh listened to her in an interview once uh talking about like uh some of her new songs someone asked her about that song and (laughs) i'll never forget the response it was uh it's like, you know, like, what inspired you? Like, it's meant sort of as a tongue-in-cheek thing because it's so just aggressively, like, I'm horny, I want to have sex with someone, uh, so shut up and take your clothes off uh, song. Like, I think they, in tongue-in-cheek, meant this sort of thing of, like, what inspired you to write that? Thinking like, oh, I was super horny. <laughs> Which plays into her character a bit. But, like, uh, her response was so shockingly thoughtful that it blew me away, and I still remember it. She said, oh... Well, I wanted to write a song about guys the way that guys write songs about girls. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, my head exploded because I was just like, I felt so uncomfortable listening to that song. And then I realized, oh, that. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this has been you know, one of my favorite, like one of my I Something I really love about my relationship with my wife is my wife loves music and loves pop music and she's the one that kind of dragged me into appreciating pop music more and to a lot of concerts that I would have never before gone to. And that was something that really broke a lot of my enjoyment into it because I mean like it's not broke my enjoyment brought me into enjoyment of it because yeah, I'm like live at a show. Front row and realizing, like, in some of that, like when they took you know, folks would be like th- these artists would be talking to the audiences and, and yeah, talking about like real deep shit, often criticizing their own industry, having some real fucking reasons for their songs, and then watching them play and having a background of being on stage, recognizing. Elements, uh, you know, you're recognizing a good show and not just a good show, but somebody actually fucking caring about their music was really meaningful. And I started realizing like, oh, I shouldn't criticize this whole genre for that. There are certainly issues that exist in this genre as in every genre. uh, But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of yeah. It, that, that was where my kind of cashier moments came from. It a number of different concerts where I kind of felt similar things where I, I you know, it was an artist that I just thought was like on the radio is just a radio play. Churches is one of these artists. Like I've heard them on the radio, they just came kind of like on the radio there. They're not really talking about that much. I've been to two of their concerts and they have a message. Like the message in their concerts is very clear. And it's fucking powerful and they're good. Like, I like the shit out of them. And I never would have liked them just on the radio. I don't know. We're way yeah. off topic. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, yeah, sort of. I think it kind of stems from a little bit of like, you know, just like when it comes to things like gender and labor, uh, a lot of this has to do with like ta- taking a, the way that you have presented the world, sometimes for your whole life and having the courage to ask the question is this true? And maybe it is. And if it is, great. You find out about this. But I think a lot of people are afraid to even ask the question because in the same way that that we talked about like people when when it came to like some of the mental stuff, like people get afraid to ask that question because they're afraid they might find out there's something wrong with them mentally. And I think the same thing applies to gender and labor and a lot of these issues. And the reason that we keep finding ourselves on these all these tangents is because they all really are related to this fundamental thing of like, there are things about society and about like the sort of ideas and things that we're all kind of taught as children that often go unquestioned. And I think a lot of people at some point realize that even asking question is potentially dangerous for them because it may reveal that they've been doing something bad the whole time. And that's, sometimes it's true. What I would say to anyone who gets uncomfortable when we point at or laugh at like obvious, like uh, like gender binary assumptions and any of that would be to ask the question, am I uncomfortable with this because they're wrong? or am I uncomfortable with this? Because it's making me think about something that I'm not, like that I'm scared to or uncomfortable with or upset or or makes me upset to think about questioning. And think about the fact that who, does anyone benefit from having an idea that it makes them angry or upset to even question? You don't individually benefit from that. I can almost guarantee it. Um, So if you're getting upset that someone's challenging an idea that you have, that you've assumed and been raised that way, maybe question who benefits from you having a thing in your head that makes you unwilling to question or think about it. Because it's not you. Uh, There might be someone who benefits from that. And at the, sometimes at the expense of others. And if that's the case. Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to know. That your actions are being utilized. By another party. Or another group of some kind. To benefit themselves. At the expense of others. I would. Uh, and I won't like I wouldn't beat around the bush either. Like that experience can be painful. You can, re- you, you do sometimes realize uh, that you were the bad guy in some c- scenarios uh, or at least you were the unwitting bad guy. You were the guy that in a movie, you know, everyone really hates to be, which is the person that is just a guy that's gotten caught up in, in something bigger and, and has been taken advantage of and has, is working for the bad guys because he didn't know any better. Um, that's a lot of us. It's me. It's been me. It still is me sometimes. Um, It's hard. Um, But have the courage to question it. It's worth it. And you'll at least gain the the validation and comfort that you've questioned it and that you will at that point know that you're on the right side of history. Or the right side, even if not on the right side of history, because history doesn't always pan out in favor of what's good and correct, but you'll at least know that you're fighting for the right side and however history pans out it will, but you know don't don't let some engendered idea perpetuate in you unquestioned because um, a lot of harm's done that way, both to you and others.
0: Agreed. Agreed entirely. And I mean, yeah, with that whole, you know, being on the right side of history or, or being on the right side as generality or, you know, I think that a lot of that boils down to just doing more good than you do harm. Like that's, you know, none of us can completely never do harm in our lives, but we can at least endeavor to do more good than harm. And that's all of that. Yeah. Um, that's all I have to say for this week. Uh, anything else you have to add? Uh,
1: nope. Um, I hope. Uh, well, this is going up, you know, at soon after. So I hope uh, everyone had a, a at least tolerable Thanksgiving, if not a <laughs> actively good one. Uh, yeah. And um, good luck in the coming holiday season. Uh, everyone's probably going to need it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. There's. Bad things in the news uh, with the new strains coming out of South Africa. Yeah, we're we're not a news podcast. We don't talk about those things. But, yeah, find some joy out there because we're all about to need that joy. Uh, Spend time with your folks. I'm just about to go spend a bunch of time with my folks. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the people around you. Enjoy the people who you care about and who care about you. And uh, do as much good in the world as you possibly can.
1: And choose kindness.
0: Yes, all choose, time. choose kindness. Uh, thank you all for joining us this morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time of day it is. Thank you.